Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Today is Tuesday, November 2nd, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Anthony J. Conniff, who practices criminal law as well as some other practice areas in DuPage County, Illinois, here in suburban Chicagoland. After his honorable discharge from the Navy in 1972, Attorney Conniff went to Loyola University, graduated in 1975, and then went to Northern Illinois University School of Law, graduating in 1978. Then, uh, Attorney Tony Conniff served seven years working as a deputy public defender before turning to private practice, and during his career, he's been very active in teaching and serving the legal and non-legal communities with education and outreach. Attorney Conniff has served in organizations such as the Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission, the ARDC, uh, as well as the Board of Directors position with the Veterans Homeless Shelter and various other associations and veterans groups. Attorney Conniff has also been a professor at Aurora University. Tony is widowed with two grown children, one of which is an assistant Cook County State Attorney, another proud NIU law grad from the class of 2008. Now, before we get uh, get going today, we want to let you know we do have a great show this afternoon, and we always invite our caller questions either by email at info at alrpra.com. Again, that's info at alrpra.com, and also by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the queue. Telephone number again for callers is 917-889-9732. We also should let you know that we do have another uh, Avoiding Pitfalls Ethics Social Media uh, Safety Seminar coming up uh, on your calendar, so save the date. It's uh, Tuesday, December 14th, and that will be a webinar, and we will be sending out emails. If you would like to be invited to that, please do drop us a line at alrpra.com. If you go to the contact section of the site, uh, you can enter your information there to be put in our uh, database so you receive invitation to this and other exciting webinars. Uh, and uh, programming coming from ALRPRA. Just uh, quickly as a disclaimer, we want to let you know that this is a general information program today, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. The results may vary based on specific facts and location, and communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you are always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Anthony Conniff. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm great, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for that great uh, introduction. Um, well, thank you for uh, being on the show today. No, thanks. It, uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. Let's, uh, let's get into it. All right. Well, let's start with, uh, and we're going to break between four segments, and of course we uh, pause at 1530 and 45 for sponsor breaks, uh, but we're going to go over uh, first segment of things that you should do uh, early on in uh, 
getting, uh, well, have any experience, I suppose, with the criminal court system. Uh, and then we're going to talk segment two about what to do after you've had some activity with the criminal courts. Three, uh, the pre-trial and trial process. And then four, uh, some things uh, after the fact that uh, may come up. So uh, just moving forward, let's first talk about what people should do if they see lights behind them. You're driving down Roosevelt Road. You're on the way to... Um, let's say you're on your way to church on a Sunday morning. You're driving through Glen Ellen. You've got red and blue behind you. What do you do? Well, obviously, the first thing you have to do is pull over uh, safely. And uh, the next thing you should do is roll down your window. And, and if you have time, get your license. But if you don't, you, you shouldn't. Uh, wait until the police officer comes up and follow his uh, directions, his or her directions. And listen to the police officer. Um Often a police officer will come up and uh, maybe pulling you over for a variety of different reasons, maybe not to give you a citation or maybe to give you a citation. Um, there's some real uh, strong do's and don'ts uh, in encountering uh, police officers. Uh, as you mentioned, I was a deputy public defender for a number of years, and I was rather shocked at some of the conduct that I, that I see encountered out there. Um, <laughs> people may not realize, but police officers are people too. Uh, they're deserving of respect and your cooperation. Um, and if you treat them with dignity and respect, you're more likely to have a much better outcome. Uh, some of the do's and don'ts. Um, when encountered by a police officer, don't let the police officer, don't tell the police officer you're special, that you know somebody, or uh, challenge their authority. Um, just listen to them, be polite, and be cooperative. Um, one of the biggest problems that I saw early in the, uh, the practice is don't lie to them. It's as simple as that. Uh, lies will only get you in further trouble. Um, often a police officer will ask you, though, what do you think I'm stopping you for? Well, that's a tricky question. Um, I would say, I think I have a good idea, but can you tell me, officer? Um, <clears throat> if the police officer stops you and says, why do you think I stopped you? Well, I was speeding, of course. <laughs> and then you decide to challenge the ticket. You're in court. The police officers on the stand. The state's attorney goes through their basic proof. You know, I clocked them doing 52 and a 30 or whatever. And then uh, what happened to the next officer? Well, I asked him why he stopped. I stopped him. And he said, I was speeding. <laughs> well, the judge looks at, you, looks at you and goes, okay, now what are you going to tell me? <laughs> so that sort of takes care of that. Now, as I said, more people lie themselves into trouble than out of it. Um, you don't have to answer questions. There's only a couple of questions that you have to answer. Uh, this was litigated a number of years ago as to whether or not you had to disclose your identity. And the case law was somewhat split. But there's been recent case law that says, yes, they have the right to demand your uh, identity. So give them your driver's license. Still wait until they ask for the insurance card. Give them the insurance card. Uh, don't say much. The less you say, the better off you are. Um, and let me give you another for instance. <clears throat> now, people lie to police all the time. They get agitated and irritated with liars, as, as they should. After they take your license, they generally go back to the squad and run you. They have different uh, databases they could uh, pull out to see who you are, what you are, what you've been doing. So now let's say you had a ticket three, four months ago, and a police officer comes back, and let's say you went through that... Uh, uh, yellow light that was a little red, more red than yellow. And uh, But the police officer said, well, you know, seems like a pretty good guy. He comes back to the car and says, uh, when was the last time you had a ticket? Oh, I never had a ticket. Well, you do now. 
So don't lie. Um, if you get a citation, just follow the uh, uh, directions. The local courts here in DuPage have done a pretty good job for uh, for the citizenry in explaining things. Read what you get. <laughs> it's pretty amazing how many people don't read the paperwork that's handed to them. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I've seen throughout the years is uh, I'll have a client that's under uh, criminal charges, and they'll and they'll say, well, you know, we'll make an appointment a week or two out. They come in the office and said, yeah, I was up in Wisconsin fishing. I go, whoops. <laughs> you just jump on. Uh, yeah. A condition of bond is you stay in the state of Illinois. It's on the bond papers. Read them. So a lot of people don't know that. Let me ask you a question, too. What about uh, police being mic'd and videotaped and that coming in later? I, I, I prefer that most defense attorneys do. Uh, a lot of departments will have a videotape, and that, that is, that is uh, great. Um, I had a case a number of years ago, and I won't mention any players in the games, but uh, I was looking at the video, and I was looking at the uh, – it was a, a DUI arrest, and they pulled uh, the motorist out and said, we're going to walk the line. And this uh, client said that she had a couple drinks. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm looking at the video. I'm thinking, it looks like she had a couple drinks. Well, the police officer was shifting his weight back and forth, as they often do because of the the firearm. And so I'm looking at the videotape, and I'm looking at the uh, defendant. And I noticed the police officer was swaying a little more than the the, uh, defendant. And I pointed that out to the judge. I said, judge, I said, look at this. I said, seriously, look at this tape, this videotape. And I said, the police officer's, you know, just shifting his weight back and more. She's more steady than he. The judge <laughs> laughed and found her not guilty. <laughs> so, yeah, th- those are really a godsend. I think across the board, they're good for the uh, <clears throat> citizen, probably good for the police officer. Well, it's you know, it's a it, when it comes to he said she said, there's no better proof than uh, recorded evidence. Let's shift gears a little. What if someone uh, is at your door or at work? Um, I remember, you know, uh, kind of a, a thing back in law school where they talked about consent, and uh, people just assume they have to give consent. So, what if we have someone knocking on the door? That's tricky, Nick, because and it is confusing to the public. Uh, if a police officer is going to extract a confession, they have to Mirandaize you. They have to warn you. Now, if they're going to search your house, they don't. Uh, the Fifth Amendment is Miranda. Fourth Amendment is search. Under search, it's not that they can't search you. They can't unreasonably search you. Now, the courts have held, and this is a very uh, a tricky area of law, thousands of cases. Um, if they have a warrant, it's facially, uh, it's, a, it's a legitimate uh, search. Now, if, uh, they could also search your premises, with your consent, but they don't have to say, "Can we? Do we have your consent?" They can come in and say, "We'd like to search your house." So there, uh, the citizen would have to be cognizant of the rights to say, um, "I prefer that you don't, or you don't have the consent, or may I see your warrant." Uh, once again, when interfacing with law enforcement, be polite and courteous, businesslike, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if they don't show a warrant, now they don't have to actually show you the warrant. They can say, "We have a warrant." Okay, come on in. Uh, they generally do show you the warrant, but they don't really have to. You know, you know, if they have a warrant, they can come in and search. Okay, what if they lie? What if they say they've got a warrant, but they have no warrant? It's a bad search. It's uh, suppressible. 
Yeah, later. Um, and one thing I want to jump in there with uh, the Miranda rules, and I know that we had a we had a criminal defense attorney talk on the show about the changes to the Miranda warnings, and that you have to specifically carve out and say, "I want to, uh, you know, execute my right to remain silent." So, to our, our listeners out there, there's another show uh, on our archives with Attorney Sarah Dill talking about that and some other immigration things. So, just wanted to toss that in. So, um, okay, so if they're in the house. Um, so let's say you uh, agree and consent and say, you know, come on in. Um, I mean, what's your advice then? First of all, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would never advise somebody to agree to that. Okay. Uh, if they did, they did. Well, then you yeah. got to let them. Then you got to let them do as, as they choose. Uh, generally, they're probably going to ask you to step out of the way. Uh, there's generally there should be more than one officer for sure. There should be at least two or three. Um, and if you're going to consent to let them search, let them search. Let's now. What about the now? What about the vehicle? Uh, let's say the, the same rules apply where someone says, because um, I've heard people before say, um, it's not my car, it's my roommate's car. They borrowed it last night. I don't know who's in the car. I mean, you know, the same things apply to the vehicle, or are we operating under different uh, law there? I think uh, houses are a lot more sac- sacrosanct than the vehicles. Uh, <clears throat> there's a case that came down recently about the extent of the search. Uh, they can search within the immediate area. <clears throat> uh, they, there's a lot of exceptions to it, Nick. Here, here's one of the uh, uh, exceptions to the search. Let's say they were to go ahead and arrest the motorist. They could search limitedly for weapons for their own protection, as they can with a pat-down, with a Terry-type pat-down. Um, uh, and that's been the law for decades. Um, so now they arrest the uh, defendant to take him into custody. And they call the tow truck. Before they call the tow truck, they're going to do an inventory search, which, if they discover evidence or fruits of a crime, is a legitimate search and the evidence can be used. But it's got to be inventory. So that's that's another exception. Fourth Amendment litigation is very tricky with a, a lot of exceptions. Um, once again, the motorist can decline uh, the authorization to uh, search. So a police officer says, open the trunk, and you say, the officer, I'd politely decline. And if he, and if he demands that you open it, uh, well, you don't have any options. You've already asserted your rights. The trunk's popped open. They find something. You've asserted your Fourth Amendment rights. You still have standing in a court of law to suppress that evidence. Well, now, if you say someone, now, here's here's a question. Someone could say, well, isn't your declining consent, is, is that, does that give rise to probable cause? Does that push us closer to probable cause? I don't what think so. Besides no, that? No, 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 I don't think so because um, the assertion of any constitutional right has no penalty. None. <clears throat> and if you take the in real life, to, though, well, in real police life, officers, I mean, you know, it's going to add suspicions of police officer, but as a matter of law, the assertion of a constitutional right has no penalty. Uh, for instance, you don't pay taxes when you go by a trib or sometimes because of First Amendment. You, you have a right to read. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, technically, if I were to subpoena somebody in a civil case, I have to give them a, a subpoena fee. Otherwise, it's an effective uh, service. In a criminal case, i got to give them a, a subpoena fee. But if I don't, it's effective service because it's that can be construed as a infringement on the right to compel evidence. Assertion of right has no penalty. Good information. Uh, uh, now, for instance, uh, you're accosted by a police officer. They start interrogating you. Whether they Mirandatize you or not, and you say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I don't like what's going on here. I want to talk to a lawyer. Okay. I guess the guy's guilty. 
wants to talk to a lawyer. No. No. They can't do that because you're asserting a constitutional right. It has no penalty attached to it. So can that come into evidence? No way. That could be a basis for a mistrial. So always assert your constitutional right. Know your constitutional rights. Be friendly with officers. Be cooperative with officers. Treat it as a business transaction. They're to do. They're there to do your job. You're there to do your job uh, under the Constitution, and, and you know your rights are your rights. Make the state prove their case. All good things to talk about when uh, you encounter police, whether at home, in your car, or at work, or any other situation. Let's pause for our quick break, and then we will be back with Anthony Connick, and we're going to talk a little bit about what happens after someone has been arrested or received a citation, and some of the procedures for looking for and hiring a good lawyer. Our first sponsor is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. And when you need the right legal services to advance creativity, and we're really talking a lot about business, marketing, trademarks, you need to call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor today is The Lawyer Market, and I discovered The Lawyer Market about three weeks ago, and let me tell you, this website is one of the best-kept secrets for solos and small firms trying to market their practices. You can join The Lawyer Market for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of consumers who are interested in hiring you. The Lawyer Marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and the potential clients searching for their legal services. Please visit www.thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. That website again is thelawyermarket.com. Now back to our show. We want to remind uh, callers out there not to be shy and do drop us a line at area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the queue. We also take our callers' questions by email at info at alrpra.com. I want to suggest that where you are finding this show, uh, potentially um, a social network such as Facebook or LinkedIn, uh, you know, please do share this show with other people that you know might uh, find our topics and guests of interest. Again, we do realize that many of you do listen to the archive broadcast as you're not able to potentially listen live during our broadcast. So again, please do share our show with others you think would be uh, interested in our topics. And we, of course, also do send us suggestions for comments and feedback because that is what drives our show. But now back to Anthony Conniff. Um, Tony, let's talk a little bit about what happens after someone does receive a citation or they are arrested um, and they don't have a lawyer, they don't know where to go. What do they do? Well, first of all, take a look at the citation. Once again, look at the, look at the paperwork. Um, if you get a uh, traffic citation in DuPage, they do have that uh, mail-in supervision, which I, I, I'm not really familiar with, but they're self-explanatory, and if you get supervision, you can mail it in. And uh, if you uh, uh, qualify for it, I think you have to have, a, you have to be ticket-free for a year or something. And that will take mm -hmm. care of that. If you choose to challenge a ticket, uh, they'll, they will give you a court date, and they have about uh, four or five field courts throughout the uh, county, uh, spread uh, about the county. Um, most court calls start out at either 8.30 or 1 o'clock, uh, and they're pretty heavy. Uh, those uh, associate judges and judges out in the, in the field court, they do work. 
Um, so, you know, get there early. Um, they generally, the <clears throat> all the judges do uh, lawyer check-ins so they can get the lawyers out of there so they can go off to other court calls. After that, they uh, go through the court call, and uh, I, I don't know how many cases they have. Now. They might have 75, 100, 150 cases, 200 cases. So they, they got a large court call. So uh, what happens is uh, the uh, judge will go through the entire call, most of them. The, the judge could do as they choose, of course, but most judges do it this way. They go through the court call, and they'll separate what cases are going to be pled and what cases are going to be tried. So then they have the trial pile. Then they take a break. They see if they can work out some negotiated pleas with the prosecutor. And they try to get as many people out of there as possible because these are packed courtrooms. Then after that, they go through the trial call. And in traffic court, you have the same basic rights that you do in criminal courts. Uh, very few people demand a jury, but uh, you could even demand a jury if you chose to. Uh, the burden of proof is on the prosecution, and you have a right to put on a defense. Um, most traffic cases aren't overly complicated <laughs> but uh, and most judges give you a fair hearing so um, once again uh, whatever the instructions are follow them if you're found guilty and given supervision or whatever the story may be just follow the instructions that's your best bet so mm-hmm. now what should they do when the when they arrive let's say at field court and they notice so many people talking to the prosecutor to try to uh, negotiate a deal. If they don't have an attorney, are they still able to go and ask the state if they can make a deal or uh, I, get I, advice I, on what the standard is? Yeah, I, I, I've seen people do that. Uh, I, I, frankly, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but that's not. I guess it's really sad for me to be concerned about. But <clears throat> uh, yeah, a uh, pro state can talk to the prosecutor. Prosecutor may or may not want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in, in in the criminal courts, it's a lot different. And um, um, let's say, and the procedures are different between a felony and a misdemeanor. In, in misdemeanor, uh, when somebody's arrested, the um, police department can set the uh, bond pursuant to statute or rule, Supreme Court rule, one of the two. Uh, and generally, bonds set in the area between a thousand to three thousand. And under Illinois law, uh, you could uh, post bond by setting 10% of that. So let's say that the bond is 3,000, you post 300, and you're out of the, out of, uh, the lockup of the uh, uh, police department. Then you're given your first court date, which is your arraignment. A lot of people don't understand that. Uh, they look at the uh, criminal courts as if they're traffic courts. There's a lot of differences. At the arraignment, the judge is required per statute to read the charge and have the defendant plea either guilty or not guilty. <clears throat> Generally speaking, the vast majority of uh, attorneys will go into an arraignment, uh, enter a plea of not guilty, waive reading of the complaint, and ask for an, an interim court date of a month or two out. Uh, most of the time, uh, the prosecutor's office will have discovery. So when you get into uh, the arraignment call, you, you actually get some traction in the case, you're moving it along. Uh, you pick up the discovery, you arraign the defendant, you get a new court date, and then the defense attorney sits down and takes a look at the case and figures out where he wants, where he or she wants this case to go. So in reviewing the police reports, you may have some type of Fourth, Fifth, or Sixth Amendment violation. Um, personally and professionally, I like trying most of my cases if I can. Uh, I, trying cases is a fun thing. Um, but before you set the case for trial, you want to make sure that it's lined up for trial. 
And if there's a clear Fourth, Fifth, or Sixth Amendment violation, you have to address that in some type of pretrial uh, motion. Uh, the Fourth Amendment, bad search. Fifth Amendment, bad confession. Sixth Amendment, he wanted to talk to his lawyer, and he said no. So once all those issues are lined up, then the case is ready for trial. Um, trial calls are, it might take some time to get to trial. Um, now, once it's lined up for trial, the case is called for trial. Uh, procedurally, what most judges do <clears throat> is, like in traffic court, they figure out all the cases that aren't going to go to trial that day. Then they have, I call it the trial pile. They figure out all the cases that are going to trial that day. And then they take the oldest one first. Uh, often they'll, t- they'll take maybe three, they'll hold three cases, five cases on the trial call, figuring that some of them are going to plead out at the last second. Then once the uh, case actually answers ready for trial, the other cases are continued. Once you're at that juncture, um, often the judge will say, uh, do you want to bench your jury? Uh, if you waive jury, the, it's got to be in the record. It's a constitutional right, so it's got to be an intelligent, knowing waiver. Once it's waived, then it goes to a, a, a judge, and the judge decides the, fact and the facts and the law. At what point, so you don't, so it's not until you actually are at trial that you're electing to have a jury paneled or not. So that's different from civil law. Well, Nick, that's how I do it procedurally. Um, I I want to know who's going to try my case. The vast majority of judges do a great job. Um, but I want to know exactly who's trying my case. Um, uh, oh, that's another thing, too. In a civil case, the litigant has to demand and pay for a jury. In a criminal case, once again, no penalty to assert a right. You have a right to a jury trial, and you have to waive it. Likewise, if the, def- if the defendant chooses to uh, plead guilty, uh, the court, I've never seen a judge not do this. They're very careful about a plea of, uh, or a waiver of jury. Uh, and they'll explain to the defendant, do you know what a jury is? Do you know it's 12 people that they'll decide your fate? And then it has to be in writing. And the judge will all say, is this your signature and you're waiving this jury? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. They're very careful about that. And then they'll uh, proceed to a bench trial or a plea. Either are. Backing up a little bit, before they have chosen an attorney, what are some things that they should look at? Because there are certainly a lot of people out there, if they were to do a search on Google for a criminal defense attorney, and if they've not been in trouble before, what do you recommend for someone who's a first-time uh, uh, you know, member of the system to hopefully avoid them staying in the system? Um, you know, criminal justice system is not a place people like to hang out. Well, um, that's difficult. Uh, I think... The vast majority of NOAA's uh, attorneys, uh, there's, uh, whether we're attorneys or not, we do. I think the best place to start is uh, with some attorney you know. Who, ask a fellow, ask another attorney, who would you recommend to me as a criminal defense attorney? Um, I think that's your best uh, approach. Um, there are lawyers that he- heavily, heavily advertise, um, and that's how they want to run their business. That's your choice. Um if I was charged with a crime, I'd want to make sure that my attorney has some good trial experience behind him. Um, I was fortunate as a public defender. Uh, being a public defender or a state attorney, you try cases, you try cases, you try cases. And you pick up a rhythm, you pick up skills that you could 
in private practice, but not as quick. So I'd want to make sure that my lawyer knows how to try a case. When a case comes into my office, I look at it and say, this is going to trial until otherwise proven. That's always been my approach. Some lawyers may say this case is going to be pled unless otherwise I've proven. You want your you want your lawyer to be in a position to try this case. So it gives you a full option of either taking the deal, whatever it may be, or going to trial. So you want some experience behind them. Um, now, I, I don't think it's a, a matter of age is uh, that important, although from the public's perspective it may be. It's a matter of experience. And you want to have, depending upon the nature of the charge, you want to have some uh, attorneys try to... Uh, it's been in the felony league uh, that's really tried some big cases. So trial experience, I think, is key. Um, and you just ask. You mentioned you know, interviewing a lawyer. You might just say, you know, how many cases have you tried? So um, I, I'd say personal referral. By, okay. by well, that's it. And, and what about what about fees and, and costs? What what can people usually expect? Uh, are they going to pay? Are are most uh, criminal defense attorneys always taking the full amount up front? Uh, what's your experience with them? I mean, especially let's say what happens if you are uh, stopped and you don't have uh, you know extra money? What are some options available? Well, um, as, 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 as attorneys, we're uh, obviously. Uh, Guided by the Code of Professional Responsibility, and they're they're pretty. It's that's pretty clear as to what you can and can't do there. But with that said, what I think a lot of defense attorneys do do is they, they'll take maybe a basic retainer fee, and then I'll take a trial fee, or um, take a trial fee with a jury, take a trial fee with a bench. Uh, juries are a lot of work. Um, a jury could be easily twice, maybe more, work than taking a bench. So it's just a lot more time. If, if nothing else, uh, Nick, if the logistics are, are, are just more time-consuming because the judge has to orchestrate 12 people in and out, in, and then they've got to pick the jury. So it's just much more time-consuming. So um, I basically segregate my fees on like a basic retainer fee, a bench trial, and a jury. I think a lot of attorneys do do that. So I base my fees based upon the amount of work. So... All right, well, let's pause for our second break, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about preparing for uh, court and what the client can do to help the lawyer, um, and maybe we'll focus in a little bit uh, on DUI law, um, if that's all right, because that is something that uh, is a pretty a prevalent thing uh, in our court system. So we'll be back with Anthony Conniff uh, shortly after a message from our third sponsor. And for those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We want to remind you that we always do take our callers' questions at area code 917-889-9732, and you can press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Again, the email is info, I-N-F-O, at ALRPRA.com. Our third sponsor today is Jim Thompson. He is the administrator of the Get Clients Now program. He's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach, and he can help get more clients with the Get Clients Now program, which takes crucial steps towards increasing the firm's revenues. The program employs various time-honored techniques to help lawyers attract girls. Jim is going to be and has been a recurring guest on our Lawyer's Toolbox show on Thursdays regarding attorney marketing. Jim is available to answer any of your questions about the Midwest Consulting Group or their programs, and you can get in touch with Jim today by visiting Midwest 
getclientsconsultants.net. You can also check out testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch again with Jim Thompson today by visiting midwestconsultants.net. Now back to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. We are talking with uh, Attorney Anthony J. Conniff, who practices in DuPage County, Illinois. Uh, we started out today by talking a little bit about what you should do if you do encounter police. Uh, and then secondly, what is the general procedure when you do receive a traffic citation or are arrested, uh, what you can expect in the criminal uh, system. Now for our third segment, we'll talk a little bit about what you can do to work with your attorney to have a good attorney-client relationship um, and also what you should maybe be doing uh, outside of court uh, as far as taking classes with the, the DUI cases and such. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about DUI uh, because it's something, again, that most people um, may be their first uh, encounter with the court system. So, uh, Tony, if you could uh, share, shed some light on some of those topics, we'd appreciate that. Okay. Um, I don't see. Procedurally, um, if you're arrested on a misdemeanor, the, the, police, the police officer will set bond. If you're arrested on a felony, uh, it's got to be set by the judge. So what happens is uh, you place in a locket if you're transported to the county jail, and... Um, you go before a judge for a bond hearing. Uh, once uh, the, uh, you go through a bond hearing, and basically the purpose of bond is to make sure that you come back to court. So the closer your ties are to the community, the, the lighter your criminal record, the lighter the bond's going to be. Uh, the, the higher likelihood of, that you, you're going to flee and not return, the higher the bond's going to be. They want you to come back to court. So now bond's set. The next court date is the uh, arraignment. Uh, generally between that time in the arraignment, the prosecutor often goes to the grand jury, gets an indictment, and returns that at the date of the uh, the arraignment. Once again, it's like in the misdemeanor courts, the uh, charge has to be read or waived, and then the defendant makes a plea, and then the case is set over for further proceedings. Uh, and in felony, there's reciprocal uh, discovery, which means that uh, not only does the defense get it from the prosecution, the prosecution gets it from the defense. Uh, and it's, it's basically the same methodologies in uh, um, misdemeanor courts. Um, it uh, the case is lined up for trial. Both sides look to uh, about their discovery. The prosecution may file some pretrial motions as does defense. Those are cleared out. The judge rules at them uh, at various hearings. Now, once again, the case is set up for trial, and then uh, on the trial call. Now, on the day of trial. Um, the uh, the judge will have some type of pretrial uh, conference generally, like, you know, what's this case about? What are we doing? Uh, it, all the motions cleared out. We, are we ready to try this case? Both sides ready. So the uh, judge will say, is uh, the prosecution ready? Yes, judge. Defense? Yes, judge. Okay. Uh, the judge will clear out the rest of uh, his or her court call and then uh, call up the jury commissioner and, depending upon the nature of the case, uh, request umpteen juries, uh, jurors. Uh, generally, I think they they call them in panels of uh, 12. They'll so if they, they may call up 24 jurors if it's not that serious of a case. If it's a more serious case, they may call up 36. Once the uh, jurors are uh, chosen or called in, uh, the uh, uh, the court and the attorneys go through a uh, voir dire. <clears throat> generally, judges have a lot of latitude as to how they voir dire a jury, but most of them will start out with some real basic questions. And then they'll turn it over to the uh, the parties. They'll turn it over the, to the prosecution and then to the defense. Uh, depending upon the seriousness of the charge, you may have either five or ten peremptories 
challenges, which means that you, uh, for whatever reason, can bounce the juror. Uh, or if you could show that there's prejudice for cause. Uh, tactically, that's a very delicate thing for an attorney to do. Uh, and sometimes it's very easy, but often not. Uh, uh, judges, once again, have a tremendous amount of latitude how they conduct their courts. Uh, I've seen a lot of judges conduct uh, juries with uh, panels of four. So they call it four perspective uh, 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 veneermen. Um, they have uh, this lottery thing with little bo- little balls, and they just pick them out. The clerk does and says, uh, jury, uh, jury 39. So jury 39 goes up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big proponent of juries. Uh, I think that's how the system really works. Uh, I firmly believe that this is our system, the citizens, and that's the citizen participating in our government. So I, I, I'm a big proponent of jury trials. Um, it's when, when the, the, the people actually take the power of the government to decide a fellow citizen's fate one way or the other. So Now, after the uh, jury's vordeered and placed in, the, the, they're sworn in, and once again the judge will make some prefatory comments and then turn it over to the attorneys for opening statement. Prosecution goes, defense goes, and then you go into the evidence. Now, what can a, a client do <clears throat> to help his or her attorney? Once again, cooperate to tell the truth. Uh, I've represented, I've tried hundreds of cases, represented thousands of people. People in trouble are embarrassed. <laughs> Sometimes they should be. But be that mm-hmm. as may, you still have to tell your lawyer the truth. Otherwise, the lawyer can't help you. Secondly, follow the lawyer's advice. Thirdly, if you come up with a better idea, tell the lawyer. Lawyers don't know everything. I get a lot of great ideas from my clients. I carefully listen to my clients. So you need good uh, communication and rapport. Um, uh, I, I think that um, all my clients are properly attired for court. I tell them, I said, this is a, it's a formal proceeding. Dress accordingly. You know, show some respect to the court and your fellow citizens. Um, be on time. It's just really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, when I examine a witness, I tell them ahead of time, listen to the question, then answer the question that's asked of you. Because when a witness is testifying, it's a lot different than a general conversation. So, um, once again, it's the old adage, tell the truth, you're under oath. Um... That's getting back to if you start fibbing to the police officer on the scene, that could come back to haunt you in spades. Mm. Tell us a story about when that's happened. Do you have any? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, client tells the police officer he had two drinks. He gets in the stand and tells the judge he had three. <laughs> are you lying now or are you lying then? Exactly, know. exactly. Let's let's shift let's shift gears. Go go ahead. Tell tell us another. And let's talk a little bit about more about drinks and DUI and what people should know. Well, the uh, DUI statute's been on the books. Back, uh, probably goes back to the late '60s, and it's had a long lineage. And there's a lot of legislation. Um, <clears throat> basically, uh, there's the straight old DUI that you're driving while under the influence of intoxicating liquor, uh, where your judgment's impaired, or you have the uh, uh, BAC point zero eight, uh, which is almost presumptive. I mean, it's almost impossible to get around that. Um, and you have your uh, plethora of constitutional rights in the DUI, Russ. I mean, the 
As a motorist is going down the road, uh, in order for a police officer to stop him or her, he needs reasonable suspicion. More often than not, in a DUI arrest, it's erratic driving. Or it could be any traffic infraction. A lot of people don't know this. You don't put on you know, failure to single, or uh, you, you change lanes without singling. Whatever, all the traffic infractions that we see all day long driving down the road, that's a basis to stop the vehicle. Once it's stopped, then the police officer takes a step-by-step approach in their methodology in the enforcement of the drunk driving laws. Um, generally, if they smell alcohol, the last thing you notice you've been drinking. And uh, if the, the police officer smells it, regardless of what the motor says, he, he smells it. Uh, the next step, most police... There's a methodology that's been developed throughout the years, <clears throat> I think by the National Safety Council, Highway Safety Council. Um, they... Most police officers will start out with the uh, horizontal gaze nystagmus test. And um, sort of an interesting uh, science behind that. What the police officer does is take a pen or a flashlight about 12 uh, inches in front of the uh, motorist's face, 12, 18, something like that, puts it dead center right in front of the nose and says, look at the pen. And then he goes to the left, then to the right, maybe to the right, to the left, and he says, follow the pen or the flashlight, whatever it may be. And what he's looking for is nystagmus, which is the jerking or jerkiness of the eye. Um, and they call it early onset nystagmus. So if your eye starts jerking before 45 degrees angle, that's an indication of impairment. Now, if the police officer sees that, now the motorist could still be in the car. Um, and it's it's a it's they say that it may be. It, 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 there's some questionable basis about the nystagmus test, but it's an interesting one because it's an optic nerve test as to how your brain's functioning. Impairment. Okay, so now you've got early onset nystagmus. There's some other things we're looking for. They, they ask the motors to step from the car and to take field tests. Basically walk straight line, stand on your leg. Uh, and as uh, the motorist is doing that, they're basically scoring the uh, suspect's uh, test uh, results. Um, if the police officer feels that they failed the field test, they place them under arrest. Now, generally speaking, <clears throat> there's some confusion here, too. At the point of arrest, most police officers will Mirandatize, but they don't have to. They have to Mirandatize, read uh, the, the Miranda rights, right to remain silent, anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law, the right to terminate questioning at any time, you have a right to an attorney. If you can't appoint, uh, afford one, we will appoint one. Okay, they have to randomize at point of interrogation, not point of arrest. Mm. So uh, they can take the motorist in. They ask that you take the breath test, whether you do or not. They get all that out of the way, the booking, the fingerprinting, the mugshot. Then they sit down and interrogate the motorist, generally speaking. At that point, they randomize. They have a right to remain silent, etc. Uh, then they ask you a bunch of questions. I know how where where you been when did you last eat? Did you see a doctor, or dentist, or any, under any medication? Uh, when did you last sleep? Uh, how much have you had to drink? Are you under the influence? Okay. Now that's a general scenario. The, the vast majority of DUI arrests. What are your rights? Well, as I said before, the police officer has a right to your identification. They have the right to see your insurance card. Actually, it's not a right, it's the authority. 
because the police officer is a governmental agent. They have authority. Um, do you have the right to refuse the field test? Yes, you do. Um, do you have the right to refuse the breath test? You do, but there are consequences. You most likely will get your license suspended. Now, let's say you don't. Um, you take the field test and the breath test, and the breath test comes over a 08 BC, uh, BAC, blood alcohol concentration. You've got a tough case. The statute says that if they can prove that the blood alcohol concentration is 08 or greater, it's guilty. So, it's a Doing a risk-benefit analysis, do you think that it's sometimes better to just not... Is, I mean, it's, if let's say you're at risk of... Um, not uh you know not passing uh what have you seen what decisions have people made that have been uh maybe in their favor that's very difficult to say and you got to look at it in a case by case basis then the only, the unfortunate thing is that they don't really have a lawyer there to say hey you know you should or shouldn't do it um, yeah. um it um if they have supervision in the state of illinois which is not technically a conviction uh, but that's a once-in-a-lifetime dis- disposition. If you've been placed on supervision uh, ever <laughs> and you're convicted again, you will be convicted and lose your license. It will be revoked. Th- there's confusion in the GUI laws. Uh, uh, most DUIs are Class A misdemeanors. So you're in jail, $2,500 fine, and a mandatory uh, uh, revocation of license upon conviction. Um, so if somebody's had a prior offense and they blow over 08, they lost their license. It's revoked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the penalties have been enhanced dramatically, and they just keep on going up and up and up. So if, there needs, if there's a, 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 a repeat offenders on it, the consequences can be devastating. Um, so it's a, it's a, that's a very tricky call, Nick. Uh, you know, do you want to lose your license or spend time in jail? You know, or the penitentiary. Um, I, I, any type of uh, carte blanche answer that's wrong. Right. Very, very interesting. It's a complex area, and it has been changing. Um, a lot of, a lot of lobbying with groups, mothers against drunk driving, students against drunk driving. A lot of groups have uh, really put the full court press on to, uh, you know, enhance. And, and anybody who has been uh, touched by um, the tragedies with DUI, uh, you know, whether uh, you know from the offender or vic- you know the victims involved people's lives have been lost. I mean, it's a very serious thing. Obviously, the best thing to do is find a way to prevent yourself from um, from needing to hire a lawyer or do anything. A cab fare is always cheaper than the alternative, right, Tony? Absolutely. Absolutely. Plan ahead, too. Plan ahead. Exactly. It's, it's, yep. it's, not, the, it's, not, it's not hard to do, and I think that when people start making better decisions and thinking ahead. You know, we just had Halloween coming up before, and I knew a few people, and I was proud to, to say that friends of mine who were going out did think ahead and, uh, you know, thought about what were transportation options. At the end of the night, you don't want to be out there, uh, you know, dr- drinking, driving, or even being on the road in uh, one of the high-risk times of the year. So um, so that is uh, some information on DUI and what you should do, and we are going to take a pause now for our uh, final sponsor break. Then when we come back for our final 
final segment, we'll chat a little bit about uh, uh, the criminal trials and what happens after the case is tried. Um, uh, you know, some things with pre-sentence investigations, maybe a little talk about expungement possibly. Um, people are always curious what happens to the bond money or uh, time served. So um, those are some good uh, questions. So let's pause for our final break. We want to let you know that if you are tuning in late, you're listening to Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. Of course, you can always uh, replay these broadcasts after and start from the beginning uh, by, by finding the link and just uh, clicking back to the beginning of the program. Uh, and there's some great information. We talked a little bit today about uh, what you should do if you encounter uh, law enforcement, how you should respond to them, and uh, what you can expect in the criminal courts, at least in DuPage County, and uh, what the trial looks like and the procedures there and how you can be a good client and help your attorney by uh, being cooperative, telling the truth, and just, it's, a, it's a matter of business. We're all here to do our, our business, and uh, with juries, it's a civil duty there, and the police are doing their job, the courts, everyone's doing their job, and as a defendant, you have a job to do too. So, um, we again, if you're just tuning in, go ahead and uh, listen to the uh, beginning of the show, and uh, we have good information here. So, um, Our final sponsor of the day is George Finder. He is a credit damage expert, and he can put an actual dollar amount on the damage to uh, credit rating, and your uh, credit rating is an asset. Uh, George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who've used his uh, services over time have used or earned huge damage awards in various practice areas such as personal injury, employment law, family, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damages in the intake process, you and your staff will learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's expert credit damage analysis services. Also, right now, any of our listeners who contact George Finder and tell them that they heard about him on Law Talk Radio will receive, free of charge, one hour of CLE presentation. So go grab a pen and take down this email address to respond to this offer. The email is creditdamageassociates at gmx.com. Again, that's plural, creditdamageassociates at gmx.com. Available nationwide, Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his credit damage analysis services. Again, to our listeners out there, if you want to call into the show or ever have a question, 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the queue, and our email is info, info at alrpra.com, or you can go to alrpra.com and drop us a note under the contact uh, section of the website where there's a form to do so. Um, now back to Anthony J. Conniff, uh, criminal uh, defense attorney from DuPage County, Illinois. We talked a little bit about um, the, the trials uh, before. Uh, Tony, let's talk a little about what, what may happen um, at the conclusion of trial and before sentencing, um, some expungement options possibly, uh, what happens to the bond money, uh, and some, I suppose, post-trial considerations. Okay. Um, so let's say we go through a trial, uh, do the voir dire, do opening statements, evidence, closing statements, jury goes into deliberation, and things don't turn out quite right. <clears throat> well, okay, the uh, jury's called back into the room, and the uh, verdict's read, and the verdict comes back guilty. Um, well, the uh, jury said, thanks for their service, and they're discharged. Then the judge uh, will uh, continue the case for sentencing. The jury uh, defines uh, guilt or innocence, actually uh, guilt or not guilt, in a criminal case. And uh, the judge determines sentencing. Now, sentencing um, is, most of the stuff is uh, all pursuant to the criminal code, uh, and it's in the Supreme Court rules. 
Um, so there's various set procedures on how all this is done. If it's a misdemeanor, uh, a misdemeanor, uh, uh, if you're convicted of a misdemeanor, uh, you can be sentenced without a pre uh, a pre-trial, a pre-sentence report. If it's a felony, it's required. Um, so the defendant is uh, directed down to probation, and um, the pre-sentence report basically reads that uh, this is your life. It's everything about the defendant. A social, economic, marital, uh, everything. Education, employment. <clears throat> Most pre-sentence reports have done are very thorough, and uh, actually it's, uh, the probation does a good job in working up these uh, files. Um, and then the uh, matter comes back before the court for sentencing. Now, the judge is mandated to sentence pursuant to statute, which is, and statutes are very clear what the parameters are and what they can and can't do. Um, and the next step is the sentencing hearing itself. It's called an aggravation mitigation hearing. Aggravation is bad stuff. Mitigation is good stuff. Um, first, the, uh, the most important thing is, uh, one of the most important things is, has this defendant been in the system before? The longer, the more more times a defendant is in the system, the harsher the penalties. It makes a lot of sense. If you didn't get the first time, well, you're going to get it a little worse the second time until <clears throat> eventually uh, the 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 whole purpose of the system is to, uh, to correct the behavior and protect society. To have people stop this conduct, They're basically uh, um, uh, anti-social conduct, doing bad stuff out there. So, um, and also to rehabilitate. Most offenders, unless it's a serious offense, will be uh, given some type of uh, pr- uh, probationary sentence. Uh, they have shown that probation does actually work uh, while on probation. And it's, okay, for a misdemeanor, you can be sentenced up to uh, a year in the county jail or up to two years on probation or supervision or conditional discharge. Uh, a two-year sentence and a, and a misdemeanor uh, conviction or finding a guilty is unusual. The majority of them are, t- are one year. So you're placed on probation for a year. You've got to report down to probation and follow your probation or, uh, officer's uh, orders, whatever they, they, they Basically, the case is turned over to probation. Whatever they tell you to do, do it. case comes back in the court at the end of uh, the year period. There's a final report date. Um, judge looks at it and will close out the file and discharge the uh, defendant from further uh, obligation. Now, I've mentioned before with uh, bond, let's say in a misdemeanor, it's uh, $3,000, you post 310%. The clerk takes 10% of that. So if you, let's say you're found not guilty, it'll get $270 back. Um, the fines are all statutory. Uh, it's, it's, generally speaking, most fines aren't that high in relative terms. Um, um, it's, if if uh, you're found guilty of a felony, more likely than not, the fine's not going to be much, but uh, if you're going to the penitentiary. Now, in that regard, a lot of people don't understand. The penitentiary is on a felony conviction. Once again, a felony is uh, under common law. If it's uh, more than a year, it's a felony. If it's under a year, it's a misdemeanor. It's the maximum penalty. Uh, um, if, it, if the maximum penalty is over a year, it's a felony. Um, now, if somebody's found guilty, the bond will be applied towards uh, cost and fines first. If there's anything left over, it'll be returned to the uh, defendant. Um, as far as time and uh, pretrial incarceration, that does go towards the sentence. Um, Illinois has modified its law. There's a, there's a lot of 85% sentences. 
So if somebody gets a four-year sentence, they're going to serve whatever it breaks out to, three and a half years. If it's not an 85% sentence, which a lot majority of offenses are, then you, you get day for your day good time. So you get to a six-year sentence, uh, you'll wind up probably serving about three years, provided that you're good. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a troublemaker down in the penitentiary, you might serve six years. Then you're subject to mandatory supervised release, which is uh, parole, generally like a two-year period. Once again, you're under the jurisdiction of a parole officer. If you step out of line, you're back in the penitentiary. So, What about the opportunities for expungement if you're found, well, let's say, well, uh, let's say the person pleads and it's a, a very, you know, let's say there's probation time, whatnot. They want to go expunge, expunge it later, or let's say someone's uh, in the penitentiary and in the system. Um, you know, clemency applications are something that, you know, don't come up very often. Um, and the only reason I ask is um, it's just there's, it's, there's currently, uh, you know, a volunteer effort that we're working on right now with some of those. Um, what are some things that people might know just, you know, primarily about expungements? Well, Nick, I've never done an executive clemency, so I don't know about that. I, I know there's a provision in the statute, and I've, I've read it, but it, it's, I never had a case like that, so I can't remember exactly what it says. It's um, really interesting. It's an interesting uh, system. Believe me, there's a prison review board and all that. I mean, it's something that most people don't uh, really touch. But I know that with the expungements, a lot of people are looking at you know, clearing up things that maybe happened in their past um, is they're trying to get jobs and things in the future, people getting denied for loans and apartments and whatnot. Um, so, you know, is expungement, is it a very doable thing? What are the rules? Um, they they, they uh, changed the expungement uh, laws, oh, maybe five, seven years ago. That There are certain uh, convictions that are expungeable. I'm not familiar with that area of law. Generally, the expungements I've dealt with throughout the years are acquittals. So mm-hmm. fellows are arrested, tried, and acquitted. I tell them you've got to expunge it because that arrest is still on your record. Uh, the expungement will eliminate all the official governmental records <clears throat> and seal them. Either seal them or uh, destroy them as if it never happened. I think it's imperative that people do that. Now, for the most part, arrests cannot be hold, held against somebody, but you, you don't want anybody to find out about that stuff. You want to keep as clean a record as possible. Um, Mistakes are made. Uh, innocent people are, are uh, charged, tried, and acquitted. And in that situation, it's imperative to expunge that uh, arrest. Um, I've had clients that you know have gotten acquittals for, and I say, hey, you expunge it. They say, I'm so, I'm so tired of court, and they forget about it. Well, then they get arrested again. And lo and behold, there's the arrest. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's really important. That, and, <clears throat> you know, attorneys will view an arrest for what it is. It's an arrest. Uh, the public doesn't. That has a, such a bad t- uh, a, a tinge about it. Like, well, why did they arrest him if he was innocent? There's the implication of guilt. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very important to expunge out these uh, records. <laughs> There's another point, too, that a lot of people don't understand. There's some really, like, petty type offenses that could really be haunting, such as, uh, you know, way at school and you get the marijuana ticket, a $75 fine. That could be considered a drug offense. Yeah, you really don't want to be running for uh, some sort of office later, or you know, I, you know, or trying to go through uh, any licensing review board, and um, you know, and have and to just to have to explain that away, and you know, and now with technology being what it is, 
and uh, really the private investigators can find almost anything. We had uh, uh, Susan Carlson as a private investigator in Evanston, had her on the show not long ago, and there is all sorts of uh, there are all sorts of ways out there for PIs and um, and other people to find that information, and also employers are looking now too. Well, I think go I, to what is any other way out there because of insurance, if nothing else. Well, yeah, um, you know, I mean, the DuPage case, DuPage, what is it, DuPageCase.org. Um, you know, you can go there to find your own uh, information, and uh, you know, I know that I've got one of those passwords. I can get on there, and you can pull up. On, are, you, are you on DuPage Case? Do you like that? What do you think? Uh, about I know that? what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I use it all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I use it all the time. Yeah. You can't print anything. I don't think you can print yet, but I mean, I'll go. I've gone on there for for things. You can find everything that's filed. You know, all the documents and everything. So um, even if there's an allegation, or you know, let's say it's a a divorce matter, and someone says, "Oh, by the way, you know, I want custody because my ex is a real jerk and he got arrested for DUI back in 1995." And, and you know, the case might have been acquitted, but you know, as you stated, that arrest is still there. Um, you know, that's not something you want. Not at all. It's a, you know, it's imperative to keep your record as clean as possible because you never know when it's going to come back to haunt you. Exactly. Uh, Tony, it, 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 it can in many oh, ways. Go ahead. Uh, it can in yeah. Oh, uh, Nick, there's something else I wanted to say. Yeah, go for it. Uh, vote. It's uh, November 2nd. It is November 2nd. I'm voting uh, after, uh, actually, not uh, long from now. going to go vote, and uh, everyone should vote. And this is actually a nice... Uh, segue into next week's show where you're going to be back and tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about next week, Tony. Oh, uh, civic duty and the uh, social contract? Yes. Yep, I'm a big believer in that. It's good stuff. Tell me why you think it's important and why we're going to talk about it. Because this is our government. We own it. We own the government. And in order to own it, we've got to manage it. In order to manage it, you've got to vote. you got to participate. And if you don't like the candidate, become the candidate. And yeah. if you could, yeah, yeah, it's our government. And uh, you and I mentioned this a little bit, but I think we're um, people don't have the civic uh, duty and pride that they should, I believe. And uh, uh, it's a great country. The more we yeah, own our government, the freer we're going to be. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's it's interesting. My my father served um, in, in Vietnam, and I remember when he came back. Um, or he was actually interviewed sometime, I don't remember what the situation really, but he talked about if you want to change the system, go within the system, and there are proper channels. Um, if you don't like people in office, find out about what you can do to change it. If you don't like the laws, lobby to change the law. Um, you know, I remember that was one of the things that I thought, it struck me as so uh, interesting in law school, and they talked about that, like if you don't like the law and the law is bad, argue to change the law. And the thing is, we made the laws um, as citizens, and we voted and elected people to make those laws. So that's, it is our duty. So I'm really looking forward to that talk, Tony. That's going to be a good thing. So talking a little bit about what people can expect in the criminal courts, uh, at least here in DuPage County. That's great. 
All right. All right. Well, we will have you on next time. So, again, uh, we thank you for your participation. We also want to thank all of our listeners out there. Again, if you are finding these shows after the fact, uh, by maybe you see it on Facebook or LinkedIn on our, someone's website, uh, do share those with others because it's good information, and that's why we do those shows, to bring information to people who can use it. So we also want to thank our sponsors. We had, number one, uh, the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Secondly, we had the lawyer market. Third, we had uh, Jim Thompson of the Get Clients Now program. And fourthly, we had credit damage expert George Finder. So again, we want to uh, thank our guest, Tony Conniff. And again, he will be coming back on Tuesday, November 9th, when he will talk about civic duties and the societal contract. We want to remind you that this is a general information program, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice, and your results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. And if you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALR PRA Incorporated. This Law Talk radio broadcast is programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALR PRA Incorporated, and we do thank you for your time and we'll see you next week.